Uh, as we've been doing this semester, we'll continue tonight. We are in the book of Genesis. And tonight we're going to be in Genesis 27. And so uh, we've been, I guess this is our 11th, 11th night in the book of Genesis. We spent a whole lot of time in the first 12, uh, yeah, the first 12 chapters. Uh, and then the last two weeks we looked at two different stories uh, in the life of Abraham. And now we're going to skip a generation, skip Isaac, Abraham's son, uh, the son of promise. And we're going to skip straight to uh, Isaac's sons, Jacob and Esau. And to spare you pain, I'm not going to read all of Genesis 27. I'm going to jump in at Genesis at verse 26. But I want to give you the, uh, the context. And maybe, maybe you're familiar with the story, maybe you're not. But uh, what happened, and we'll, I'll mention this in a minute, is... Isaac is the son uh, of Abraham. Uh, God promised Abraham a son and that through that son and through Abraham's offspring, all the nations of the world would be blessed. He would make him into a great nation. Uh, And so that was obvious for Abraham because he has Isaac. But then Isaac's wife gets pregnant with twins. And so the question is, well, which one is going to be the child of promise? Um, And I'll actually mention in a minute how God deals with that. And what, uh, what we learn is that God, before they were born, said that the older would serve the younger. So it was actually the younger son that would be the child of promise. And so where we get to in Genesis 27 is that they've grown up and Jacob knows that his brother Esau is of age to receive the blessing. And so he dresses up like his brother with his mother's help, takes his father some food. His father is old and blind uh, and tricks his father into giving him the firstborn blessing. So that's where we pick up here. Genesis chapter 27, starting verse 26. Let's read this together through verse 41. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. And so he came near and kissed him, and Isaac smelled uh, the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and, of, and plenty of grain and wine. Let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, who are you? He answered, I am your son, your firstborn Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came, and I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even also, O my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him lord over you, and all his brothers I have given to him for servants, and with grain and wine I have sustained him. 
What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray before we look into this. Father, we thank you for your words. We thank you that you, by your grace, your mercy and your kindness, you speak to us. And so we would pray as we ask every week, we would pray that this time would be just that, that you would, through your words, speak words of life, words of grace and words of truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you could tell and you go back and read the whole chapter for yourself as well, you can see a recurring theme. This chapter is about blessing. Uh, But more than kind of the lighter way that we kind of think of the term, this passage shows forth to us the weight of blessing, the weight of having blessing in your life, and the the just immense void of not having it, as we saw in Esau's reaction there towards the end. So I want to see three things here. The need for the blessing, the masquerade for the blessing, uh, and the firstborn blessing. So that's how we'll look at this tonight. So the first one is the need for the blessing. Just to kind of get, get us back from Genesis 1 all the way to this place. If you remember all the way back at the beginning of this book, it's one of the reasons we take books, uh, though we're not covering Genesis extensively, uh, trying to, we take one book and try to work through that in a semester to kind of get a big picture idea of what this whole book is about. Well, if you go all the way back to the beginning of this book, at creation, we saw that the world itself found its beginning through the blessing of God. God quite literally blessed the world into being. He spoke and it came to be. And at the end of each day of creation, you remember He said, it is good, it is good, it is good. He pronounced that blessing on everything that He had made. And then in these terms, you can think about when you get to Genesis 3 and you see Adam and Eve and when they fall, the big theme of Genesis 3 is that Adam and Eve have now forfeited the blessing. They lost it. And they're exiled from it. Uh, in their exile from the garden. and exile from the presence of God. And then we look at some stories through, in Genesis 4 through 11. And what we see in Genesis 4 through 11 is the death, decay, and destruction that results in all of the world and in all of history precisely because we lost that blessing. And then Genesis 12, what we found was that God comes back into history and He comes to this man named Abraham and He says to Abraham, not only will I bring you blessing Abraham, but through your offspring, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And so you see, in thinking in those terms, actually at Genesis 12 starts the rest of the arc of the rest of history. 
That through God's work, through this family, He would, He had determined to bless the entire world. And that's the rest of the story of Genesis, the rest of the story of the Old Testament, ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. And so it's that everything is read through understanding that someone from Abraham's line would come and fulfill that ultimate blessing that God laid down that he promised in Genesis 3.15 that there would be one that would come and crush the head of the serpent. And when that happened, all the effects of losing the blessing would be wiped away and all the blessing that we were created for would be restored. It's the entire story arc of the Bible, if you will, from Genesis to Revelation, right? And so clearly, then we get to the story of Jacob and Esau, and it is a story about blessing because when Rebecca, Isaac's wife, is pregnant, she's pregnant with twins. And so there's a tension, even before they're born, there's a tension about what's going to happen with a blessing. This is just Abraham's grandchildren. We're just one generation removed from the guy that got the promise and was seeing it fulfilled in his life. And there's already tension in the story. But to clear up any confusion, in Genesis 25, God comes to Rebekah and says this. Two nations are in your womb. Two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. Now, that's not how things culturally went back then, but God explicitly lays that out for them. The younger, the older shall serve the younger. But just a few verses after that, we read this about the reality of this family in Genesis 25, verse 28. We read that Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So again, I mean, this is like fit for a good drama series. Um, which I guess the History Channel has tried. Um, I don't know how good that was. I never watched it. But um, the, it, the tension is there. The drama is there. Even the parents are split over this promise and how God is going to carry it up. And we read this story and we say, well, obviously Jacob's not going to be the one that gets the blessing, right? He's a swindler. He's a deceiver. I mean, he betrays his, his, uh, his father who's too blind and old to even figure out what's going on. But by the end of it, we hear Isaac himself, right? Look at the situation and say, what? You remember? Yes. And indeed, he will be blessed. And so we stop right there and we ask, what kind of thing is this blessing that uh, appears to shape the entire course of people's lives? What is it about this thing, this blessing that can be stolen And even though it was stolen, even though it was wrongfully gained, it can't be taken back. Esau's stabbing at at whatever he can with his father. Do you not have some blessing left over for me? And and Isaac's left saying, "It's, it's not how it works. It's not how it works. And here's the thing. This isn't this isn't your grandmother's blessing, right? This isn't, you know, bless their little hearts. It's not that kind of blessing. Biblical blessing had life shaping power. This is why the Beatitudes are so much more than just nice little post-it notes for encouragement. They were actually pronouncements of a blessed life because people understood that biblical blessing had life-shaping power. Words of affirmation, words of encouragement, words of comfort, words of promise that passed into you. And changed you and stayed with you. They quite literally became a part of you. And if you really think about this, I'm sure there's more stories that I could have come up with. uh, But one that I heard 
sometime back. I don't know if you ever heard of Andre Agassi. Uh, this was back when American men were actually good at tennis. It was a cool time. Um, maybe you can research it. But uh, Andre Agassi was one of those American men that was really good at tennis. And uh, the story goes that when he was, uh, when he was 14, he was at an at a, at a amateur tournament or something. He came in second. And his father said this to him after that. If you're going to come in second, you're wasting my time. Now, you've got to take that. If you, if you understand who Andre Agassi was, who became this huge star, huge ten star, even fell off a little bit uh, in the middle of his career and then came back and made it, in, made, made it to number one in the world again. You try to tell me that those words from his father did not shape the entire course of the rest of his career. If you're going to finish second, you're wasting my time. As Tim Keller says it like this, um, and it's so true. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will make or break my very soul. Right? I always say, whoever said sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Whoever made that up was a bully. Um, because that's just not true. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will make or break my very soul. There's not one of us in here, I don't think, who doesn't at some point remember words that deeply affected you and still affect you today. And you can maybe even picture and vividly feel um, exactly what the scene was like when you heard those words. How many of you maybe are pursuing a major or thinking about a career just because someone important in your life at some point told you you were good at something? And you said, okay, that's what I'm going to do the rest of my life. Jacob understood this. He craved the blessing of his father. But you see, the problem is is that Isaac loved Esau. Isaac loved Esau because Esau was a man's man. He was hairy. He was a hunter. Um, That's why Isaac loved Esau. Jacob was a mama's boy. I kind of sympathize with that. Um, Which actually fit well. I could have FaceTimed my mother if I had answered in time. Anyway, um, he was smooth-skinned. He was a businessman. But... There's a deep emptiness because of this relationship with his father that follows him the rest of his life. It's the blessing. He yearns to hear, to be told, you're special, you're valuable, you have my blessing. He yearns for it. You look at verse 18. Uh, if you have your Bible, sorry, I didn't print it in your hand up. But you go back to verse 18 when he first goes into his father dressed up and his father says, Who are you, my son? And without hesitation, he says, Esau, what is he saying? He's saying, I will be whoever you want me to be. I just want your blessing. He wants it so bad. He goes to work for his uncle Laban after this because he knows his brother wants to kill him. Um, And he wants his uncle Laban's daughter, uh, Rachel. He falls in love with her, wants her to be his wife. And so Laban says, okay, you can marry her, but you've got to work for me seven years. And he says, Done. Then the morning after the wedding, he wakes up and it's not Rachel. It's her ugly sister, Leah. Goes to his uncle and doesn't say, take Leah back. He says, what do I have to do to get Rachel? And he says, work for me another seven years. Jacob says, done. What is that? It's the blessing. He's still chasing it. There's a deep emptiness that follows him and hounds him the rest of his life. And it's the blessing. We understand this. Do you ever wonder... Why you care. Have you ever stopped to think a little? Maybe, maybe you, you could admit this, but have you actually stopped to think just how much you care what people think about you? 
Have you ever stopped to think how much energy you put in every single day to control what people think about you? Have you ever tried to stop and think about what are the different things in your life that you are controlling to control what people think about you? Why do you think you care so much? Who knows it's your birthday or who knows that you made that grade or who knows that you took that job this summer? It's the blessing. You want it. You crave it. Because the thing is, is that you and I were created to hear from our creator. I approve of you. I'm thrilled with you. I bless you. We crave that. We need something to look at us and say, you are my firstborn. You. I accept you. I see you. I know you. You are mine. This is what Jacob was so desperate to hear. This is what Jacob was so desperate to take into his life. And this is the base note of all of our hearts. This is why... Those Friday mornings and those Saturday mornings are so empty. Maybe other than the headache, right? This is why on Sunday night, after watching all of the Netflix on Sunday, you're still bored or you're still sad. It's why you care so much what he or she thinks. But as soon as they reciprocate or maybe even y'all hook up, You don't feel anything. It's the blessing. You are yearning for it. You are chasing after it. You want nothing but it. But it's all emptiness because you and I were built for cosmic blessing. And if Jacob had stopped, if his mother had stopped, if his father had stopped and understood what God had held before them, they would have understood this. But they're running through all these other things in their own control to try to get it. We all need this blessing. Let's move on to the second part here. The masquerade for the blessing. You know, it's easy. It's easy to read the story or remember it from Sunday school as a child or whatever. It's easy to, to mark out the absurdity of what Jacob does here. He's not hairy, so he puts animal skin on himself so he'll feel hairy to his father. Uh, he doesn't smell like an outdoorsman, so he makes himself uh, smelly. Um, He makes food like his brother makes it, but not without the help of his mommy. Um, That's another little side note of the story. He knows. He knows that to get the blessing, he has to be somebody else. That's the problem. He knows that to get the blessing, he is going to have to be someone else. And so he goes right along with it. And you're really just not paying attention if that doesn't hit you in the face as to how applicable that is. He knows that to get the blessing, he has to be to someone else. How, again, how much of your time, daily or weekly, goes into figuring out who or what you need to be for people to accept you, for people to praise you? How much time goes in, and this is guys and girls, don't lie to me. How much time do you put into what clothes do I need to own? What brand do I need to have? What thing do I not have that I need? How funny do I need to be? How serious do I need to be? How smart sounding do I need to be? Just so someone, anyone will accept me and bless me. It's easy a lot of times when 
our social media habits and what social media has done to us when it's written about or talked about. It's easy to talk about like narcissism, that we're just all a bunch of narcissists saying we are so great, look at us. But I think it's so much more, I think the singular root of it at all is that we so long just to be desired and accepted and loved and valued. And at the end of the day, no matter how we can get it, right? I don't know about you, but I think this has got to be somewhat common. You've either had this happen or you, uh, to you or you've actually said it to someone. But there's always that conversation a year or two into college when you meet up with an old friend. And inevitably it comes out, you know, ever since you went to college, you've changed. Right? Um, you know, because like back home in high school, it was to your benefit to dress up as the good boy or the good girl, right? Uh, that's how you knew how to get the smiles. You knew how to get the pats on the back. But then you got to college and you realized that's not how you get those here. At least not in the same way. And so what happened? The masquerade happened. You got to college and you realized I got to be something because what was working is not working anymore. So what do I need to be? Just tell me. I'll be it. Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> Who knew I'd quote that? But um, I do like musicals, um, if you want to talk later. Um, <laughs> Phantom of the Opera, the big, one of the big smash numbers of, that, of that, uh, that musical opera. Actually, it's an opera. Phantom of the Opera. Um, is Masquerade. And this is one of the lines in that song. Masquerade. Paper faces on parade. Masquerade. Hide your face. So the world will never find you. Why do you go to a masquerade ball? Because you get to be somebody else. Right? Hide your face so the world will never find you. You see, we're all searching for the blessing. But the sad reality is, is we would all stop and think. I think we'd all admit. We all know. We all believe that there's not one of us that will get it. As we really are. We just know it's not possible. I'm not going to get it as I really am. You'll take a job in a field that you have no desire being in. Because it gives you status. Or because it offers you more money. Or you'll move to a city that you have no desire to be. But hey, that's, the, that's where everybody's going. I got to go. You know, some of you have never shared a real struggle with anyone. Christians don't talk about their struggles, right? Tell me what I got to be and I'll be it. Here's the thing. Jacob will ultimately get the blessing and that's what we'll look at next week. But look what happens here in chapter 27. It doesn't work. Sure, he gets, he gets the blessing in word. But it doesn't work. He doesn't get what he's looking for. Maybe he got the look he'd always wanted, but it was from a blind old man. Maybe he got the kiss. Maybe he got the words he always wanted to hear. But the problem in Genesis 27 for Jacob, as you read forward into his story, is that it didn't change him. It didn't work. It didn't change him, though. Because he knew it wasn't him. He knew it wasn't him. 
And you read on in the story and you see how this dress-up story ends. The family is completely torn apart. Esau wants to marry his, his brother. Isaac's life ends in regret, confusion, and anger. His body physically trembles at the confusion of this moment. And Rebecca never sees her beloved son again. That's how this story ends. Ravi Zacharias, a preacher and apologist, one of my favorite quotes is, he says, The loneliest moment in life is when you've accomplished what you thought would deliver the ultimate, and it let you down. That's where Jacob is. This is what he thought his entire life was about, and it is, but just not the way he thought it was. And he leaves the tent alone. And he goes out into the wilderness alone. He goes to work for his mean Uncle Laban alone. He wanders back in the wilderness, back towards his family alone. It's emptiness. The whole story is screaming at us that your effort, your self-working, your manipulation, your masquerading will never get the blessing because it can't. That's what Jacob learned this day. And we continue to learn in the days ahead. The need for the blessing, the masquerade for the blessing, the final thing here is the firstborn blessing. This is what Jacob was after, was the firstborn blessing. Well, so how do we get the blessing that Jacob is looking for? How is Jacob going to get this blessing that he's looking for? Next week we'll look exactly at how he gets it. But look at verse 33. There's foreshadowing there in verse 33, because even in this moment of physical trembling and anger and confusion, Isaac gets it in verse 33 as he says, yes, and he shall be blessed. Isaac finally gets it, and it's this, and it sounds like a leap, but hear me out. What Isaac finally understands in this moment before the end of his life is that this God is a God of grace. And that's it. Now that sounds like a leap. How did I get there? This is it. That even though Jacob is a swindler, a crook, and a thief, even though Esau has been a presumptuous and prideful firstborn, even though Rebekah had gone behind Isaac's back, and even though Isaac himself had refused to listen to what his wife had been told before his children were born, what Isaac now understands is that if anyone is going to be blessed, it is going to be by God's grace and God's grace alone, or it will not happen. That's what he learns. Paul actually addresses us in Romans chapter 9. A few verses for you. In Romans chapter 9, verses 7 through 12, the Apostle Paul says this, Not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But as we read in the Scripture, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. And when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and they had done nothing good or bad, hear it out, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of Him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger. It was there before they were even born. 
Before they were even born, before either one had done anything good or bad, in order that God's own purpose should continue, she was told the older would serve the younger. And in verse 33, though he's confused and sad, at the end of his life, Isaac finally gets it. He sees it. There's an interesting thing about Romans 9. Y'all know what Romans 9 is about? Dare I even say it? Predestination. That's what Romans 9 is about. Now, why do I say that? It's like the boogeyman of Christianity, right? Um, I don't know what your experience is with that word. I don't know if you've ever really even thought about it or heard it. Um, Side note, it's a word that comes from the Bible. Um, But I want you to consider something. I do want you to consider. This is why I bring it up. Open a can of worms and I'll fight. Uh, No. Every time... That subject, God's sovereignty and salvation, every time that subject is brought up in the Bible, time and time and time again, it is to drive home the scandalous, intervening, unmerited, undeserved grace of God every single time. And what we're told again and again and again is it is the only way The grace of God is the only way to get the blessing. The only way to get the doting of the firstborn that you and I crave, that you and I work so hard for every day. It will not be through anything at all that you can do. It will not be because you played the game well. It will not be because you showed up and showed out for God or whoever. It will be by His grace. Or it will be by nothing. That's the message. Yeah, but how? How in the world? If you go back earlier in Genesis 27 and look at verse 13, as Rebecca is urging Jacob on into what he's about to do, she says to him, don't worry about your father cursing you. Let your curse be on me. That's a big thing to say, right? And we don't even know if Rebecca really adequately understood what she was saying. But the beautiful story of the Bible is that there's someone in the Bible that did say that and he meant it. And he knew exactly what it would mean. Paul, again, in Philippians chapter 2, tells us that Jesus himself, the eternally begotten firstborn of God, left his firstborn blessing. He laid it aside of his own will. He said, I don't have to hold on to this. Not only did he do that, what Paul says is that he came to earth. And there in Philippians 2, he says, made himself nothing. Took the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men. Being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. You got to see what that's saying. What that's telling us is that Jesus left His firstborn blessing that was all of His. It was all His. It belonged only to Him. He left it. And He came down and He dressed like us. He put on human flesh. But He didn't stop there. Then He went to a cross and He dressed in our sin. Became sin, taking upon himself 
the curse for our deceptive, inauthentic, selfish living. Why in the world would He do that? So that we in turn could rightfully dress like Him and wear His robes and wear His righteousness and hear the Father of all things say to us specifically, individually, and corporately, you are my firstborn son and I love you. In Revelation 21, as John beholds the end of all things, he hears this. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. And to the one who conquers will have this heritage, this inheritance. I will be his God. And he will be my son. That's all of us God is saying that to. The one who conquers, he will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. Do you want the blessing? You do. You do. The story is that it is freely offered. Right now. Let's pray. Father, would we take to heart truly that all the fitness you require is for us to feel our need of you. But even how much more beautiful is it that Even our sense of need is something that we need you to give us. And you've promised to do just that. Would you forgive us all the masks that we wear? Would you turn your face upon us? Would you shower your grace on us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.